last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. It's all going in the outtakes. People need to know how incompetent you are and how completely oblivious to your responsibilities you continue to be every single week. And Dorsett hasn't hit yet. He's overrated. He's not overrated. He was drafted too high. In the end, it's all subjective. That's how this went. So it's fine. You have a take. I have a take. He has a take. The whole point of the show is it's not subjective. It's objective. We strive for objectivity. And I was thinking last night all the different ways you were bad on the show. And pets are more overrated than Zay Jones. And is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And as always, Mr. Matt Kelly is with me. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. Matt, what is going on, man? I'm enjoying reading these buzzard messages. Strong week. The last seven days for the buzzards. This mm. show, Sonic Truth Buzzards, coming strong. This buzzard message is brought to you by Local. We've been talking about Local. It's a collaboration app. It's new. It's great. All three of the Roto Underworld listener leagues use Local to talk about the draft as it's unfolding, as well as one-on-one trade talks. It's great. It replaces Voxer. It replaces WhatsApp. It's what's new. It's what's cool. It's the new, new thing. Get local. L-O-K-L in the app store. And Nate will be joining one of these listener leagues later this year. We'll be having a startup in either April or May. And Nate has agreed to join his first listener league. It's going to be Matt and Nate. And the first buzzard has a weapon pointed straight at you, Nate. Oh, boy. This is an anti-Nate message. What? This buzzard went to the mattresses. Oof. Well, I, I'm just thinking back, like, over the last couple episodes, or at least throughout this season, I don't think I've really done anything egregious think, enough to deserve think, something to the level think, of what you're describing. Think, think, think harder. Was there a subsection of the population that you gratuitously attacked? Like the legitimacy of an entire profession. Oh, God. It starts off. Oh, God. I'm a building Uh. services supervisor for the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene for the state of Maryland. We don't have, quote, janitors per se. We have floor technicians and housekeepers, as do most healthcare facilities. While it's an entry-level job, the cleanliness of the rooms, floors, and sterilized equipment is a necessity in order to avoid the spread of infection, especially in the rooms where heart surgeons and others are performing life-saving operations. See what's happening here? No, I know it. The janitor, by extension, is saving lives, Nate. Yeah, I see it. Go on. Also, where the mentally disabled ambulate and touch everything within reach, it's important that those areas be disinfected and as clean as possible. So while the prestige and wealth of a doctor makes their profession quintessential in the industry, other jobs are also important to help facilitate the overall practice. The end. 
Uh, that's a deep burn. That's a that's a stuck with a knife and then a twist. Well, he really, I think he stuck you with a mop. <laughs> Come on, man. It's supposed to be a serious moment here. It's supposed to be going back. You know, we're looking back on what happened, and we're supposed to be trying to turn a new leaf here, and you got to go with a mop reference. I'm not. Those action movies yeah. where the heroes pose as janitors. And they, they go into the building. No. And then they use the mop handle as a weapon. Nothing I say at this point is... To disarm the bad guys. My God. The movie-style jujitsu that you see used in so many action movies where they're using a mop handle. Right. You can see what happens is they slowly will turn the mop handle and twist off the end of the mop so it's just a handle. And then they use the handle as a weapon. You've seen that in countless action movies. This is what happened to you. You were just walking down the hall, and this person, the hero, just walks out from the bathroom with a mop panel and just poof, right in the face, and then you just hit the floor. First off, I don't think a hero should be just like wildly swinging a mop handle at the next guy that's coming down the hallway, unless I'm the bad guy. And I will admit— You are the bad guy. You deserve a mop handle uh, in the face. Wow. This is so ridiculous. Do you not? Do you remember what you said about janitors? I think what happened, and I'm not trying to backpedal here. Initially, what I was trying to say was that Krishan Hogan had had come from a place where he felt like he was very far removed from an opportunity like this, from a, a situation that, that it became. So I understand. I was trying to put light on that, and then after a little bit of a little bit of prodding and poking and nudging and asking some questions and starting me up, cajoling, and, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. You manipulated me a little bit, and you know, drunken words are sober thoughts. That's fine. So I may have said some things that were out of line, but Colin, the email here, who hit me in the face with the uh, with the mop, as you said, the mop handle, not the God, not the mop itself. I'm a germaphobe, but anyways. He brings up a great point. I mean, the underlining thing is that there are there are plenty of places and, and not just that alone. There are places where, you know, janitor services are important to the cleanliness and functionality and everything that it that it services. So I apologize if I offended anybody in the industry. Um, I don't want to get hit with another email mop handle. You objected to me calling janitors a critical profession. So will you withdraw that objection? It's I, I withdraw it to the point where. Oh, stop. No, no. See, I see what you're doing. Just here's how this works. This is where you just do a sincere apology, which is what you've been doing so far. A sincere apology. I can, I'm watching you in the monitor. This is absolutely sincere. But I don't want this show to derail. I don't want to get more emails about this. So let's stay focused on the sincere apology. Because the definition of the word profession is a paid occupation, I agree that it is a critical profession. And what they do is critical, especially in the scenario that Colin laid out. So I apologize for the road that my comments may have traveled down. I did not intend it to be that way when I was initially talking about Krishan Hogan, who, by the way, I saw Evan Silva tweeting, he cannot find any film on him either. There's nothing in existence. So anyways, back to the point. I apologize to the uh, Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast world and all of its listeners and anybody who is in that profession. Uh, I apologize for the comments that I made. You do a critical job. Thank you for that. That was necessary for us to get closure on this, albeit a week late. <laughs> 
But nonetheless, you finally did apologize once public pressure reached crescendo. On to our second buzzard message, also addressing you by name. Oh, God. Hey, Nate. What if Juju Smith-Schuster went to Clemson and Mike Williams went to USC? Then what? Oof. Well, first off, I think we'd have to deal with the uh, USC wide receivers are all busts, and then all Mike Williams are all busts in the NFL as well. Okay, here, here's the thing. I've been thinking about these two guys in particular. Um, so Mike Williams just did his pro day. I don't think we talked about that on the last episode. Maybe that was the day of the last episode. No, we did talk about it on the last episode. Okay, we did. It's been a long day. I corrected myself there. But yeah, okay. So he had he had a decent God, day. you're bad. You're a pin. Hold, please. This is going to be a bad show. I can already <laughs> tell. You almost derailed your own apology, and now you can't remember things we talked about on the last show so that you can build on previous points. Okay. Go so, ahead. Just go ahead. Go. Just start talking. Ooh, Do. I'm going to try. Do the thing where you talk into a microphone, I guess. Right here. Here's where it's happening. You know, if Mike Williams hadn't had such a significant injury the year prior in 2015 where he missed nearly the whole season, we may have a different opinion about him. He may have had back-to-back 90 reception seasons. It's entirely possible. However, if we look at Juju Smith going to Clemson, there's a very different situation. A lot of people talk about Juju Smith and want to talk about his decline in 2016 versus 2015 when he had such a great year. He's still young by comparison. He's two full years younger than Mike Williams, number one. Number two, Juju Smith had his career best year with Cody Kessler when he was a sophomore. But what's important to note is that Juju got to play with Kessler as a freshman also and had a pretty decent year. 54 catches, 724 yards, five touchdowns. As a freshman, a true freshman, an 18-year-old freshman. As a true freshman. But then as an 18-year-old sophomore, he continues that continuity and rapport with Kessler and goes on to post this incredible season, which most people know if you've looked at the stats, 89 catches, 1,454 yards, 10 touchdowns. Then in 2016, he loses Kessler and starts all over again with Sam Darnold, a freshman quarterback, and a team that is spreading the ball around a ton more than they did the year prior. So this is the year that they have in 2016. Juju Smith is one of three receivers that rank inside the top 11 in receptions in the Pac-12. You had Darius Rogers and Deontay Burnett. So three guys in the top 11 for receptions in 2016. You go back to 2015, Juju Smith ranked second in the Pac-12, and they had nobody else in the top 11. The next closest receiver from Southern Cal was number 33 overall in receptions in the Pac-12. So if you now go over to the Mike Williams side of it, he had Deshaun Watson possibly essentially from 2014 all the way to 2016. So if you're talking about continuity, Mike Williams had this injury, and this is what I'm going back to. If he was healthy in 2015, he may have had a monster year in his second year with Deshaun Watson. Because despite the fact that Deshaun Watson's turnover rate is is pretty gigantic, if you go and look at his numbers, even with half a season as a quarterback starting for Clemson, Watson from that year as a freshman to this year through 90 touchdowns, the whole USC starting quarterbacks from that same period of time through 99. So it's a difference of nine touchdowns, and Watson played half a year as a freshman. So if you're asking me if Juju Smith, a young stud wide receiver, would have done even better with Deshaun Watson throwing him the ball for three years 
My answer would be yes, absolutely. So, again, I think Mike Williams' injury hurt him in the numbers that we look at. But if Juju Smith would have had that continuity, that opportunity with a quarterback that's throwing 38, 41 touchdowns in a year, I think what we're looking at from Juju Smith would be significantly higher. Looking at playerprofile.com, Juju Smith-Schuster's best comparable player is DeAndre Hopkins, and Mike Williams' best comparable is Josh Gordon. Both exceptional NFL receivers, at least for one season, in the case of Josh Gordon. And the reason we comp Mike Williams to Josh Gordon and Juju Smith-Schuster to DeAndre Hopkins is because we can't comp rookies to one another. Generally speaking, we don't do that. One time we did it because the comparison was so close, such close comps, we were compelled to do it. We compared Brashad Perriman to Kevin White and Kevin White to Brashad Perriman because those two are, in fact, doppelgangers. Well, Mike Williams and Juju Smith-Schuster are quantitatively very similar players. You look at their measurables, similar 40 time, similar burst. You look at their production. Juju Smith-Schuster broke out a year earlier, and his dominator was slightly higher than Mike Williams, but Mike Williams had a higher yards per reception. These look like very similar players, but because Juju Smith-Schuster lacks the wow factor catches in primetime broadcasts, he's not a first-round graded player. Mike Williams is. Juju Smith-Schuster does himself no favors at the Combine, 115.3 burst score, 22nd percentile. So if he had a great broad jump and vertical jump, there would be more buzz right now about Juju, but there's not. For Mike Williams, his burst was equally lackluster, and yet no one is questioning, you included, Mike Williams' first round grade, which is consensus. It's unanimous. There's only one objector out there, and his name is Matt Kelly, objecting to Mike Williams being drafted in the first round. Not because I don't think Mike Williams is a top three receiver. He is. It's because the position is so weak this year. The best receiver is from Western Michigan. Let me say that again. The best receiver in this class went to Western Michigan, a non-Power 5 conference school. That right there is a huge red flag for this class. If I'm an NFL general manager, I'm not picking any of these wide receivers in the first round. But that's not how NFL GMs evaluate talent. They put the players in tiers regardless of the depth of talent for each position. That's how you get Jordan Matthews and Allen Robinson falling into the second round in 2014, which was irrational. And that's how you're going to get Mike Williams and Corey Davis drafted in the first round this year, equally irrational. To be fair, Matt, the best receiver in the NFL came from Central Michigan. So I think that the Mike Williams thing, I the more I watch him, I still think Mike Williams is a first-round talent, and we're going to disagree here all day. That's fine. And I understand what your take is on on this receiver class, so you still believe he's a top-three talent at the position. You just think the position's— You understand this concept, right? The, the notion of relative value for an entire positional cohort is incredibly low at the wide receiver position, and yet— NFL teams always have this quota of wide receivers that they have to draft in the first round, regardless of the talent profile of the positional cohort. You understand why that's irrational, right? I do. If you watch these guys on film, you do see special things. And again, we go back to this thing where me watching it is probably more subjective than Fusu Vu watching it. But 
when I watch Mike Williams, there's an abundance of talent there. And do I think that Mike Williams is going to be a Des Bryant-like talent transcending on the field? No, not necessarily. I think that Corey Davis is. No, no, no. There's no necessarily about it. The answer is flat no, because Des Bryant was one of the great college producers of all time, one of the highest dominator ratings in the playerprofiler.com database. Mike Williams posted a 27% dominator rating. That's 39th percentile, Nate. We don't disagree. 39th percentile. We don't disagree that he's not going to be Des Bryant. I didn't mean to bring up Des Bryant because of his production. I'm just sick of all these best-case scenario comps. Late March and throughout the month of April, all I hear all day are best-case scenario comps, and it's maddening. It's just Mike Williams is a really good player, and whether you think that he's an early second round or I think he's a mid-first round, that's fine. I still think Corey Davis is the best receiver in this class, but... Yeah. There's nothing yeah. wrong. Our our differences in opinion are about 15 picks apart, 30, you know, 20 picks apart. That's fine. If if he goes where Laquan Treadwell went, where DeAndre Hopkins went, where these guys went in the the early 20s, 23, 24, 25, I'd be fine with it. I'm seeing Mike Williams go at eight, at seven, at ten. I don't think that's right. I think Corey Davis is the best receiver in the class. <laughs> So for what it's worth, we're we're always gonna have. You do understand though that Corey Davis has no business in the top ten as well, right? Sure, I don't think that Corey Davis should be up there that high, anyways. We agree. If you're looking at best player okay. available, I totally agree. But Corey Davis is a better receiver than Mike Williams. Question: If you're starting an NFL franchise today, yes, who would you rather have, Joe Mixon or Mike Williams? Because of the volatility and the ability to replace a running back, I would say Mike Williams. That, that's a tough case for me. And, and plus, my, you've got Mixon's issues off the field. You'd have to deal with those. Are we talking about just purely talent? That's still tough because you know the volatility of running backs. But let's just go talent for talent. But Mike Williams wears a shell necklace in his headshot. <laughs> okay, all right. If we're just going talent for talent, you could sway me to go Joe Mixon over Mike Williams. But if I'm a GM, knowing that the replaceability of a running back, I am probably going Mike Williams. Yeah, I just think that Joe Mixon is the only truly special talent, size, speed, nuance, explosiveness, production, everything. Joe Mixon's the one player in this class that checks all the boxes on the field. He looks like an explosive Le'Veon Bell. He's the one guy in this class that you would give him a best-case scenario comp, and it's justified. It's correct. He comps to players like Ezekiel Elliott analytically and Le'Veon Bell anecdotally. And it, that's accurate. Those are his best comps because that's how good he is. No other running back, no other skill position player in this entire draft is anywhere close to Joe Mixon in terms of where he will slot in on the talent pyramid at his position once he arrives in the NFL. Joe Mixon will instantly be a top 10 running back in the league. None of these quarterbacks will be close to top 10. None of these wide receivers will be close to top 10. And none of the other running backs in this class will be in the top 10. The only player that you could argue is even close to Joe Mixon on a relative basis would be O.J. Howard. You could argue O.J. Howard could be a top 10 tight end on day one the moment he signs with an NFL team. I would still rather have Joe Mixon. The one thing that Mike Williams does have going for him is that I'm not sure that Deshaun Watson is worthy of an NFL roster spot. I think that Mike Williams made Deshaun Watson look better than he actually is because Deshaun Watson has zero arm strength. And by zero, I mean sub-zero. I mean it's negative. I mean I could throw the ball as hard as... 
Deshaun Watson, and I don't even have a strong arm. Those that watched his pro day were shocked and embarrassed for him because the lack of velocity was striking to even the non-quarterback gurus. It was clear that Deshaun Watson has no zip on the ball. You could tell by the sound the ball made coming off his hand and the sound the ball made when it hit the receiver's hands. And then when they clocked his throws at the combine, shockingly low 45 miles per hour. He's not an NFL quarterback. He shouldn't be drafted in the first round. Deshaun Watson should not be drafted in the second round. Deshaun Watson should not be drafted in the third round. Deshaun Watson should not be drafted in the fourth round. Deshaun Watson should not be drafted in the fifth round. Deshaun Watson should not be drafted in the sixth round. Deshaun Watson should not be drafted in the seventh round. He is a CFL quarterback. I promise you. Deshaun Watson will have a championship career in the Canadian Football League. As a Toronto Argonaut, Deshaun Watson will be a football champion. But his production and efficiency at the college level at Clemson, he needs to thank Mike Williams for that. Wow. The minute that gets cut into a YouTube clip and posted, you're going to get a lot of responses. I will say this about Deshaun Watson. He's been spectacular in, Can't throw. in big games. But if you look at no 2015, the year that he not an NFL did player. not have Mike Williams, he threw 35 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, 4,100 yards. So still a pretty good year. But I, I don't have enough of, a, of an opinion right now on Deshaun Watson. You have a massive opinion on him, which is fine. Can't throw into tight windows. <laughs> okay. All right. So Can't throw the deep ball. You're saying that Deshaun Watson deserves to be an undrafted, not even an undrafted free agent. You're saying he can't throw the out route in the NFL. He can't throw the deep ball, and he can't throw into tight windows over the middle. What is he good at? He can throw a dump off. He can throw a slant route, maybe. Deshaun Watson's got that mobile ability. I don't know. Like I said, I... There has never been a bigger disparity since Doug Flutie in a player's collegiate resume and their NFL draft prospect profile. To be fair, I think that what we do at this point, you know, teams are looking at the available quarterbacks. You're looking at Watson. You're looking at Trubisky. You're looking at... I can't even remember what the other name was at this point because I just really don't. Trubisky's also overrated. Trubisky's almost as overrated as Deshaun Watson. This is a terrible class for skill position players. The quarterback is the worst of them. We talked about how this is a bad wide receiver class. It's not the running back class that it was sold to be. The quarterback class is an apocalypse. Yeah, that, and that's exactly the point. The, the quarterback class is really not that great, and you feel like at times these teams just have to— No, no it's not not that great. It's a catastrophe. If people looked at Dak Prescott last year going into the draft— Oh, he would be the shining hero in this class. There was just differences in the way people evaluate. Now, I think Dak Prescott was really an eye-opener for people. The, his performance on the field, people went back after he performed like he did in the NFL, and they go, okay, what, what do we miss with Dak Prescott? Everything. The thing about Deshaun Watson is he's done it on a big stage. He's been a winner, but I will say we saw this, what— Eight, ten years ago with uh, Vince Young, that game, Texas versus USC. I remember I had him, I had him in my mind. I was like, this guy's amazing. He's going to kill the NFL. He's so great. He beat USC. Vince Young can't throw. So it's, it's hard to say because they perform on a big stage that that really calculates to being or translates to, to being the answer to why they'll be great. It doesn't translate at all. Where did Tony Romo go to college? Where did Joe Flacco go to college? Sure. Small school. So I don't have enough of an opinion right now on Watson. I just will say that in 2015, he had a decent year without Mike Williams. So 
A lot of quarterbacks have decent years. Right. This is a crappy quarterback class. If you're an NFL general manager and you're drafting Deshaun Watson, that is a wasted draft pick. If your favorite team drafts Deshaun Watson, I'm sorry. They're misguided. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to evaluate quarterbacks, period. It's one thing to not have a cannon for an arm. It's one thing to not throw the ball 60 miles per hour. Dak Prescott throws the ball 54 miles per hour. It's good, not great. It's about average. Arm talent's not the reason why you drafted Dak Prescott, but it's not a red flag either. Deshaun Watson simply cannot throw the ball with the requisite velocity to have any kind of NFL success. He can't even be a backup. He's not better than Aaron Murray. He's not better than A.J. McCarron. He's not better than Jacoby Brissett. I can go down the list of all the backups in the NFL. He's better than none of them. He will be a very productive CFL quarterback. Oh, my gosh. I don't think that you can hinge his arm strength on the reason why he'll be good or not. Tom Brady doesn't have a... Yes, it is. It absolutely is a reason. You need requisite arm strength in order to make NFL throws. If you don't have it, you can't play in the league. It's that simple. It's just like a wide receiver who runs a 4-9. He can have great route running capability. Wow. He runs the most precise routes in all of college football, but he runs a 4-9, so he cannot play in the NFL. He has no business on an NFL roster, even if he's the best route runner in his class. If he runs a 4-9, he's not the requisite athlete. Deshaun Watson does not have the requisite arm talent, period. So then what would your explanation be for Tom Brady? I mean, Tom Brady doesn't have the greatest arm in the league anymore, and he's winning Super Bowls. I don't think the arm is necessarily... Did you see some of the cannon fodder that Tom Brady unleashed during the Super Bowl? He threw some of the hardest thrown footballs I saw all year during that Super Bowl. Tom Brady has tremendous mechanics and incredible ball velocity don't tell me that you think that tom brady has a better arm right now than deshaun watson do not say that do not say that he doesn't you sound ridiculous saying deshaun watson can throw the ball faster than tom brady do you realize how absurd that is let's get a jugs gun out yes we, we should get a radar gun absolutely and you would be proven wrong once again just like you were wrong about janitors Oh, here we go. Back to the janitor thing. Speaking of which, I want to circle back around real quick and talk about the iTunes reviews that we recently got quite a nudge on. I got a text from Matt this weekend, had an exclamation point on the end, and he said, we're back up. to Matt who? Matt Matt who? Matt Kelly. That's me. Yeah, I got a text from you. We're talking to the audience. Why do you switch? We were You were talking to me, and then suddenly you switched perspectives, and now you're referring to me in the third person. That was very disorienting. You got to know where we're going, man. You're supposed to be the squeaky wheel or I'm the squeaky wheel. I don't really know what's going on. I'm done with these cliches. Point is, iTunes reviews spiked. We're at five stars now for the show. And there was a lot of showering on Nate in there. There was some, uh, they call me Nate. They call me company. Showering? Not, not like, well, wait, what do you say? What are you going to with the shower thing right now? You give me an odd look. Why did you say showering with Nate? Showering of like positivity. Like showering you with rose petals? Sure. Yeah, yeah, rose petals. (laughs) Champagne? Champagne would be nice. Champagne shower, rose petals. You and the audience, are they masturbating? Yeah, of course. Of course they are. There was one funny moment on Twitter, though. I think this was yesterday or the day before where people started calling me Neil. Did you see that? Yes, I did. It was brilliant. 
So good. So great. So anyways, I appreciate everybody uh, making me feel better about the uh, unfortunate circumstances of the iTunes reviews prior to last episode. Quite an influx this week, and I appreciate it. Everybody, thank you. However, Matt, I do have something to bring up to you. Are you already stealing Fusu Vu's Ishmael Zamora hot take? You're shameless. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I told you I would. I told him to his face that I would amplify his message about Ishmael Zamora. I have over 10,000 followers, and I want to get the word out about Ishmael Zamora, and I am leveraging Fusu View's analysis and adding to it. And like an artist who is building upon the works of his contemporaries, I am building on the work of Fusu View for the public good getting the word out educating the fantasy football community about the upside that is inherent in ishmael zamora if you're fusu view you want me to supercharge your take that's what i'm doing to his take i'm taking a take that was charged a positive charge and i'm supercharging it i'm transporting fusu view and his ishmael zamora take to the farthest corners of the earth i have followers in ireland New Zealand, Australia, Italy, Ireland, Brazil, England, Romania. You snuck Ireland in there twice. But keep going. Keep going. It was two Ireland. Maybe it was a different Ireland. Are you done? Was that necessary? That was necessary. Go on. Go on. Sorry. I I was trying to make a point. Now I lost my train of thought because you had to get in there with your duplicate Ireland correction. Thank you for the contribution, Nate. You've been great today. Thank you. No, no, thank you. That was sarcastic. You've been awful. Oh, I'm sorry. Pick worst show. Pick up at Ireland and keep going. What what was after Ireland? I mean, few people are able to tout a player with more just sheer volume than Matt Kelly. When I like a player, I let the world know, hey, this is a good player. I don't just set the beacon out into space and maybe it reaches one of the planets, maybe it doesn't. No, I set out 20, 30 beacons. 20, 30 tweets, articles, entire shows dedicated to a particular player. YouTube channel. Go to YouTube. Type in Roto Underworld Radio. Already, there's an Ishmael Zamora hot take. Courtesy of Fusu View on the Roto Underworld YouTube channel. And YouTube is available to the aliens at this point, Nate. And what I will do with Zamora is I will be such a loud advocate that it will drown out any of my failed takes on other NFL draft prospects, assuming Ishmael Zamora hits. So if Ishmael Zamora ends up breaking out as a rookie, oh! <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, It'll be right out of the Matt Harmon, Allen Robinson playbook. <laughs> Did you know that Matt Harmon touted Cordell Patterson? Did you know that Matt Harmon had Doriel Green Beckham ranked ahead of Amari Cooper? No, no one remembers that. But you remember that he loved Allen Robinson, right? Because he only sent 500 Allen Robinson tweets compared to his five Cordell Patterson tweets. So you inundate the audience with celebratory messages if your tout hits and you pretend the touts that miss never happened. That's the Matt Harmon playbook. So we are going to run our plays right out of the Matt Harmon playbook on Ishmael Zamora. 
That's incredible. I, you know, I knew that he loved Allen Robinson. I've always associated Matt Harmon and Allen Robinson. And I knew he liked Cordero Patterson, but I never knew that he had DGB over Amari Cooper. That is mind-blowing. It's bad. You would never know it because it's camouflaged within 78,000 Allen Robinson gifs. <laughs> That's good. We got to get him on here to explain himself. That's a bad take right there. No, everyone has bad takes, Nate. That's the point. We all have bad takes. I have a lot of bad takes out there. I just don't emphasize them. I don't talk about them. They sink into the ether. It's like they never happened. We emphasize the takes that hit. That's the great magic trick. Right. No, that makes sense. I mean, you want to pump up the, the hits and you want to just pretend like the misses never happened. No, it's great. For example, recently I was the first to speculate that Eric Decker could be cut if the Jets do not sign a Jay Cutler-level quarterback. And then sure enough, the Jets let the world know that they were tanking 2017 by signing Josh McCown because that's what teams that are tanking do. Like the Cleveland Browns last year, you start Josh McCown. So if the Jets are going to be starting Josh McCown and making a run at that number one overall pick, they can't get the number one overall pick because... The Cleveland Browns have a jump start on the Jets. They've been tanking for a year already. They're much better prepared to lose games than the Jets are. So the Jets aren't going to get the first pick, but they could get a top five pick. And one of the ways that they can ensure that they get the top five pick is to cut Eric Decker, who is owed over $8 million, according to Over the Cap. And over $5 million of that would be saved if they cut Eric Decker before June 1st. This is your guy. One of your favorite players in the NFL, Eric Decker. He could be freed from the Jets, Nate. Did you even realize this was possible? I didn't. I didn't even think it was possible. But when you bring that up and you mentioned Josh McCown going anywhere, I could see why. I mean, you cut Eric Decker, you save money, you get rid of a good receiver, makes your team worse, right? So Eric Decker was really a healthy player up until last season when he had the rotator cuff injury. He'd only missed two games out of his last 80 over the previous five years. So Eric Decker's been a producer. He's been a consistent, healthy player. I'd love to see him go anywhere else but the Jets. And despite the fact that he's 29, he's been in the league seven years. So there's guys that have been at the position a lot longer at the same age. So it's it would be interesting to see where he ends up. Do you have any speculated spots where you'd like to see Decker go? The best place for Eric Decker to land is the New Orleans Saints. You want to be tethered to Drew Brees. The Saints don't have a great option out of the backfield to throw to. They don't have a great option to throw to at the tight end position, Kobe Fleener. They just traded Brandon Cooks to the New England Patriots, so there is a target void there as well. Their starting receivers are a second-year player, Michael Thomas, and a former undrafted free agent, Willie Sneed. So the ideal landing spot, if you're a Eric Decker dynasty owner, would be the New Orleans Saints, but I keep reading that the New Orleans Saints are fine. They don't need a receiver, Nate. Because I contend that the Saints betrayed Drew Brees by letting Brandon Cooks go to the Patriots for merely picks. Because Drew Brees is 38. He's at the end of his career. How can you let two years of Brandon Cooks go just for picks? You're signaling to Drew Brees, hey, we're rebuilding. And to a 38-year-old quarterback who's still holding on to the peak of his powers, that to me is a betrayal. But then the analysis is, well, Drew Brees is going to be fine. 
Drew Brees doesn't need great receivers to be the most productive quarterback in the NFL. That's the analysis. He doesn't need receivers. Now, other quarterbacks, they need good receivers. Aaron Rodgers, he needs Jordy Nelson. Tom Brady, he needs Julian Edelman. Not Drew Brees. The narrative is that Drew Brees can be a mega producer with anybody. He did it with Robert Meacham. He did it with Devery Henderson. He can do it with anybody, Nate. He'll be fine. Is that true? Uh, Drew Brees seems to perform no matter what, but I don't think that's true. I, you know, If you don't have the right players around him, it doesn't make him successful. I think it's not true. Here's why it's not true. Because when Drew Brees was posting over 5,000 passing yards, he had Jimmy Graham and Marcus Colston, or he had Michael Thomas and Brandon Cooks. He had great receivers. I mean, what are you talking about? Yes, some of his auxiliary field stretchers were not top-of-the-league talents by any means. No, they weren't. But Robert Meacham was a first-round pick, and Devery Henderson was one of the fastest players in the league at the time. And Lance Moore was an above-replacement slot receiver when he was there. To go with Jimmy Graham and to go with Marcus Colston. Of course, your supporting cast matters. The quarterback and his wide receivers are in a symbiotic relationship. If you replace all your good receivers with bad receivers, the quarterback is necessarily going to suffer. Suffer a lot. It doesn't matter which quarterback it is. There's no quarterback that can suddenly have success if all his receivers are always covered. Drew Brees is great. He's not that great. And it's illustrated perfectly with the Brandon Cooks-Ted Ginn dichotomy. You swap out Brandon Cooks for Ted Ginn, and the differences are easy to quantify. Because all you need to do are look at the catches that Brandon Cooks would have posted that Ted Ginn did not. All those drop passes that Ted Ginn will inevitably suffer in 2017 that would have been Brandon Cooks catches quantify the difference between Brandon Cooks and Ted Ginn. Those are lost passing yards and passing touchdowns for Drew Brees. His production necessarily is diminished with the loss of Brandon Cooks. Ted Ginn is not going to replace Brandon Cooks. So Drew Brees is diminished. Our projection for Drew Brees is lowered for 2017 after this ridiculous Brandon Cooks trade where the New Orleans Saints betrayed their star. They've been betraying Drew Brees for the last 10 years, and the betrayal continues. So while Drew Brees is negatively impacted, going to the Saints is a boon for Ted Ginn. Is Ted Ginn, Brandon Cooks equal? Not even close. But will Ted Ginn be undervalued this year in fantasy football? Absolutely. That's what I love. I love to bet on the receivers getting target share in the prolific offenses that lack the brand equity. You know I love players like Kamar Aiken on Indianapolis. Last year, I liked Chris Hogan on the Patriots, Tyrell Williams on the Chargers, Mohamed Sanu on the Falcons, players that lack brand equity, but because they're tethered to prolific quarterbacks, they will score fantasy points. Book it! Ted Ginn is going to score fantasy points, but he inspires a visceral hatred Fantasy gamers simply will not pick up Ted Ginn out of principle. They will not play Ted Ginn in DFS out of principle. They hate Ted Ginn. I don't understand why. Ted Ginn's 31 years old, and he's still an NFL wide receiver. Plenty of first-round picks never make it to age 30 in the NFL. Ted Ginn did because Ted Ginn has some special skills. Stretching the defense is one of his special skills. He doesn't have ball skills, 
clearly near the top of the league in drop rate almost every year. Just check it out, playerprofiler.com. We have drop rate, drops per target. Ted Ginn always near the top. But he can also take the top off a defense, and he can have boom weeks. And I think there will be significant boom weeks for Ted Ginn on New Orleans. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. And Drew Brees is coming off one of his best career years, even at age 37. He had a career high in attempts, 673. So the team's still going to throw the ball. 5,200 pass yards, and he had a 70% completion percentage. So despite the fact... He's going to be fine. Drew Brees is going to be fine, right, Nate? He's going to be fine. I hear that all the time. I read it constantly in reply tweets. You'll see a fantasy gamer messaging an expert, and the answer is, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. It's the cliche response. He'll be fine. Just a gibberish platitude. He'll be fine. It means nothing. What does that mean, he'll be fine? Of course he'll be fine. He's Drew fucking Brees. He'll be more than fine, obviously. That's not the point of the conversation. Exactly how much will he be diminished? That's the question. Not whether or not he will be fine. No, that was a good episode, man. I thought that this thing wasn't gonna have uh, wasn't gonna have wings, but it made it. Drew Brees is gonna be fine. Drew Brees is gonna be fine. Drew Brees is gonna be fine. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Of course he'll be fine. He's Drew fucking Brees. Joe Mixon will instantly be a top ten running back in the league. That is mind blowing. It's bad. That's a bad take right there. Well, you didn't, you didn't have the email to start the show? No, I don't have the email to start the show. It's been a hell of a day. Work, man. It, it was hectic today. It was a shitty day. You at least have the local live read ready, right? Oh, yeah. You know that thing's ready. Get ready to intervene on the local live read. How do you not know the local live read by now? We've been doing it for three or four weeks. What? That's about my only contribution to this show, but it's worthy. What? Oh, God. Uh, that's about my only contribution to this show. Why don't you bring it up after you're done apologizing for the janitor stuff? What? Oh, God. Uh. Someone said it's the most woke shit I've ever fucking heard. They're like, well, what's specifics? Like, I gave you a ton of specifics in the last couple of shows. Like, you're just trying to be argumentative. Well, you know, you go on Twitter to get in fights. That's what it's there for. Odds are, if a guy is giving us a hard time on Twitter and he's just a total ogre of a person, he has a dog avatar. What? Oh, God.
Uh, uh, that's a deep burn. Well, he really, I think he stuck you with a mop. You are the bad guy. You deserve a mop handle in the face. Do you remember what you said about janitors? This is going to be a bad show. I can already tell. You almost derailed your own apology. And now you can't remember things we talked about on the last show. What? Oh, God. Uh... There's only one objector out there, and his name is Matt Kelly. Deshaun Watson will have a championship career in the Canadian Football League. He will be a very productive CFL quarterback. Um, what? Oh, God. Uh... An incredible ball velocity. Do not say that. He doesn't have ball skills. You got to know where we're going, man. You're supposed to be the squeaky wheel or I'm the squeaky wheel. I don't really know what's going on. I'm done with these cliches. And there was a lot of showering on Nate. I lost my train of thought because you had to get in there with your duplicate Ireland correction. Thank you for the contribution, Nate. You've been great today. Um, what? Oh, God. Uh. <laughs> I like how you keep asking me questions. They're rhetorical questions. They're just to give me a break so I can take a few breaths, I can re-energize, and then I can just cut you off and just say whatever I want. Bugs the shit out of me. I'm about to go super analytical on something, and you're just like, exactly, he's going to be fine. It's just everything's fine. Fuck all these numbers then. They don't matter. None of this matters. Nothing matters over here. That is your most Skip Bayless moment of this season. Going down the line of every draft round and then saying that he should go play in the Canadian Football League. The reason I'm doing this game is to force you to do research. You've been completely checked out the last few shows. Um, what? Oh, God. Uh. <laughs> you do that too well. It's too good. That's what I'm up against every time. Of course he'll be fine. He's Drew fucking Breeze. Showering on Nate. What?